Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the show. Ben here. I'm delighted to be joined today by Zakia Maybury. Zakia founded B Global Diversity and Inclusion Strategic Planning back in 2015 to create workplaces of full engagement with healthy organizational cultures for all people, no matter their background or race, ethnicity, sexuality, gender, age, veteran status or disability. And it's going to be a real pleasure to learn about Zakia's business and what she's got planned for the future. Hi, Zakia. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be on your show. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And whereabouts are you calling from? I'm calling from Northern Virginia, about 20 minutes outside of Washington, D.C. Nice. Excellent. Lovely part of the world. You've achieved so much and you've got so much more coming down the line, I know. Do you want to start by giving us a little bit about your background and how you created the business that you've built? Sure, absolutely. Well, a little bit about me. I grew up in Germany because my dad was in the military. So I've always appreciated and valued culture and people from different walks of life. And about when I was in high school, ninth grade, we moved back to the United States. And when I went to school, College, I was a little undecisive, but I finally um, majored in psychology. And so when I first graduated, I was a special education teacher, and then I was a substance abuse counselor, and then I segued into working in the HR field. I started working in human capital and equal opportunity work, EEO. That's when employees file complaints if they feel that they've been discriminated against. So I did that for the Department of Defense in many capacities for almost a decade. And then um, in 2012, I was so lucky. I was afforded the opportunity to go back to Germany in Stuttgart, and I worked for AFRICOM. And it was um, a developmental position just to um, see how regulations were handled overseas at the European headquarters level. And so after that, I came back to the States and several um, assignments later with the Department of Defense, I decided to segue over into um, corporate America. Mm -hmm. And I worked for Deloitte and I've also worked for Blue Island Hamilton, which are Fortune 500 companies, which I really appreciate because working for the federal government, I will say sometimes there's a lot of bureaucratic red tape and a lot of people... (laughs) to not like to challenge the status quo. But I can tell you that when you work in corporate America, utilizing your analytical and problem solving skills is actually welcome. They want you to push the envelope and be innovative. So I love it being as though I'm a visionary leader and I like people and like to solve problems. And so now I'm just enjoying making impactful, effective recommendations to my clients. Brilliant. That's quite some journey you've been on there. Yes. <laughs> Fun journey. Fun. <laughs> Except for the, I had a, a one evening in Germany where I went, I got taken to a football match, a soccer match, and it was probably about oh. mi- minus 15 degrees. I spent Ooh. the whole, 
I spent the whole <laughs> halftime break just in the bathroom, just drying my hands and warming my hands under the hand dryer. I can understand that. What part oh. of Germany? Uh, I, gosh, near, it wasn't Stuttgart, near Frankfurt anyway. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, great. And sorry, Deloitte bought the Josh Burson business, right? I think they took that over. Yes, they did. And that, of course, they, um, Josh, he does a lot of um, training on, excellent training on workshops on inclusion. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, right. Brilliant. Okay, so can you tell us a bit about the consulting you do now and how do you help your clients? Well, now I do a great amount of um, diversity and inclusion work and uh, I really do a great amount of time doing speaking engagements for organizations, talking about um, how to overcome adversity, leadership training. Um, and um, one of my passions is disability inclusion. Um, and sometimes stakeholders will come to me and say they want to have or um, to improve their organizational culture in an unrepresented group, for example, maybe um, employees with disabilities, or it could be another minority group. But then we have to actually sit down and talk about what does that look like for them. Um, we have to have a conversation. It can't just be, okay, this is our current state and this is my desired state. It, it involves a little more of understanding um, based off a of needs assessment where I ask a lot of questions like, okay, how do you uh, want to go from good to great? Uh, what about the inclusion in your organization is keeping your senior leaders up at night? Things like that, you know? Yeah. And after analyzing all the information with the stakeholders, then we together will define our mission critical goals. We will make sure that we tie those DNI goals to their business goals because when you have those two linked together, that's when you're really winning then. And then sometimes I'll go ahead and develop and conduct some DNI training. And that approach I find that works the best is when you have. In input from not just senior leadership, middle management, but also from engaging the employees. Then you yield a high return on investment, time, and their budget. Absolutely. That's that workplace culture part, the whole how people act when the boss isn't looking type thing. So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So everything comes on a journey and it evolves. So where do you think we are now in terms of diversity and inclusion in the workplace? And are we making progress? <laughs> well, that's a good question, Ben. Well, let me say this. It takes time to create a culture and it takes time to change that culture as well. Yeah. So when we're talking about organizational culture, we're looking at the attitudes, the values, the beliefs, the assumptions, and the ways that the employees within that culture interact with each other. In my crystallized experience as an African-American woman with multiple disabilities, I've seen a lot. Um, and I will say that, well, unfortunately, we have a long way to go with the inclusion part in many organizations. Mm. You see, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked authentically to, to dance. When I say authentically, I mean yeah. being sincere. And the equality part is about being asked to be on the planning committee and actually having your voice heard. So 
that's how I summarize it when I'm explaining it to people. Yeah. And I think you're right. It's about not just being ingrained, but it's just a natural reaction to want to do the best to create the best possible inclusive workplace, not just the checkbox exercise that perhaps organizations used to go through in the Mm -hmm. past. Yes. That's always a thinking that's so 1990s. Right. Yeah. Um, Can I ask something a little bit left field? One of my listeners emailed me to tell me of the hard time she feels as a female African-American consultant. And she feels that sometimes she's missing out on work due to her race and gender. Do you have any thoughts or advice on this? Wow. Then first, let me say this. I commend you for even bringing this to light. (laughs) Yes. I felt this so many times that I can't even count how many times. In fact, this was a major discussion during the black history panel that I had in February when we talked about different things um, that people, professionals go through in at work uh, while they're moving up the corporate ladder. So the first thing that comes to mind is microaggressions. And let me see, there's like three of them at the top of my head I can think of that I just want to point out. Mm. Um, microassaults. Microassaults are overt forms of discrimination in which people actually believe they behave in discriminatory ways, but they didn't um, mean to offend someone or they think their actions are not noticed or or harmful. Okay. Let me just give you an example. For example, when someone says he is so bipolar, this implies that someone is crazy or moody. The person is aware the words that they're saying, but they may not realize the language they're they're using is actually harmful to people who have mental illnesses or families who have mental illnesses. It's offensive. Similarly, when a coworker makes a racial joke or uses racial slurs, and then he or she says the offensive comment, um, I was just joking as if it was a way of denying the prejudice. That can go into a whole nother conversation talking about conscious and unconscious bias. But that still is a micro assault. I mean, yeah, micro assault. And then a micro insult are statements or behaviors in which individuals unintentionally or unconsciously communicate discriminatory messages to members or target groups. For example, (laughs) a person might tell an African-American, you know what? You speak so articulately. And I've heard this a lot throughout my entire life. Like that's a compliment. Or telling a Mm. black person, you sound white. What exactly does that mean? Mm. They think in reality, the statement is a compliment, implying that African-Americans are, their diction is proper or they're speaking very clearly, but Mm. it's so offensive. So, so offensive. Another example has happened very often is when a a minority will provide a recommendation or a comment in a meeting, say you're all in a group meeting for it's a planning meeting for your team. Yep. And then someone will say someone, a uh, female Hispanic speaks up and says, I have an idea. And she says what it is. The whole room is crickets. That means it's just silent. No one's saying anything. Mm. And they just keep talking. Next thing you know, let's say <laughs> yeah. a Caucasian, Becky says the same idea, something very similar. Everyone's like, that's the best idea. You know what? We're yeah. going to implement that. And you're thinking, 
wait a minute. She's thinking, I just said that, but no one even noticed that I said that. That has happened to me and it does not feel good. It makes you want to just sink in your chair. You're thinking, okay, do I want to speak up? Should I say something after the meeting? But you know, it's politics and work. You don't want to rock the boat. So there's another example. And then there's um, micro invalidations are verbal assaults that deny or neglect or undermine the realities of a members of various targeted groups. For example, when a white person tells a person of color that racism does not exist, or I'm colorblind, mm-hmm. that's invalidating or denying the person of their racial identity. Similarly, when someone tells a black woman, calm down, you're being too aggressive, you've heard them say, um, angry black woman before. Mm-hmm. I speak loudly um, in general. I, I remember one time I was in Paris with my girlfriend, Tamika, and you know the rooms in Paris, the hotel rooms are so small. They can, mm-hmm. You can hear anything. Like, <laughs> But I just talk naturally so, long, so loud that they had to call the front desk and tell she and I to, can we quiet down? But just, because our, vi- our voices just carry. Um, and we're having a good time. I think we just came back from dinner or something. <laughs> but that, that's just another one. Um, or to tell a person um, in the LGBT community to stop complaining, um, they should be happy that they're there. These are just all things that people need to be aware of and monitor what's coming out of their mouths because words have meaning and mm. words actually do hurt and so do actions. At, at the most basic level, it's just lazy. I mean, it's yes. uh, apart from it's not, it's just not the right thing to do. It's a dreadful thing. It's, it's but equally, I imagine it's there's some terrible laziness and just disrespect. Uh, if, if, People are doing that. That's dreadful. Uh, and I'm finding it hard to how to react to this, to be honest, because you know, white middle-aged male, I don't face that. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so I'm, I'm learning a lot. What, what advice could you share to people who, uh, yes, they've experienced it, but they're going into a brand new situation, so they're f- maybe fearing the worst. Um, it may not happen, but equally, it's I guess it plays on people's minds that it could happen again. What's your advice on how to handle that? Hindsight, now that I'm more seasoned and more mature, I say speak up. When things are happening, you call people on it. When I was that person five years ago, the Zakia in the meeting who was overlooked by a comment and someone else said the exact same thing, I need to, of course, know your audience um, and say, excuse me, that's an idea that I, I just said, but no one heard me. I could say it right then, or I can choose to go to the person. Um, who's leading the meeting afterwards and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you for a moment and and let them know. You need to start calling people out on their, uh, what is being said and what is being done. That is the way that it brings attention to it because sometimes people have blinders on. One of my best girlfriends from high school, uh, she's Caucasian and she, we have very candid conversations. She used to say I'm colorblind because half her friends are minorities. But I said, Shannon, this is how it makes me feel when you say this. And now she understands and she doesn't say that. So a lot of times you have to um, educate someone because they may or may not know. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. This is 
one of the reasons why marketing is so important for a business. I know we're talking about a different area, but the reason I'm constantly telling consultants in the HR industry and businesses to improve and scale up their marketing is not just that you get more clients. It's also in allowing you to choose better clients. For instance, in our HR consultant bootcamp, where we talk about getting the positioning right and identifying who's your ideal target audience, that sort of thing. We can also talk about who you don't want to work with. And when you've worked out those two things, who you'd love to work with and then who you would hate to work with, and then get marketing systems in place to reach more of the ideal people, then you come into those situations where they are rude, disrespectful, Mm -hmm. um, saying these horrible things consciously or unconsciously, but they're saying them. You then get to have that choice. Whereas if you're not getting that scale of marketing going, then, then you're kind of stuck as a consultant, as an employee, different process, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely speak up and all that sort of thing with consultants. It's almost a case to just walk out. Right, right. That is one of the beauty, beautiful things about being a consultant and an entrepreneur. Some, you can fire your clients sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> so that's yeah. great. That is great. That's a sense of empowerment. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much for your advice, Dan. I'm going to make sure that uh, my listener hears that because I think she's going to find that very useful indeed. Can you tell me about the transition from the corporate world and how, to starting your own company? Was it scary? How did you make that leap? It was, um, it was scary, but the reason why I had to transition is a little different from a lot of people. It was different because... I had to leave corporate America because of medical reasons. Um, there's a song by Drake called, that says something like, you started from the bottom, now you're here. That's kind of how I feel because I, I was working at these, uh, you know, great, if you look on, uh, on the resume, great companies. I had all these skills, visibility, but sometimes the work-life balance wasn't there. As a consultant, you have to work... <sighs> if you're working for a fortune 500 company, 65 hours easily a week. And then there's um, a lot of engagements you have to go to. And so I needed to put my health first. And then some of the things that I needed to work with on, I I do have a clearance. However, it was in in clear space and I wanted to be able to work remotely due to medical reasons. And the client did not want that because they felt uncomfortable with, working remotely because it was, um, again, this is government. Uh, even though I was working for, um, you know, a private sector, but I was working on government client, my clients were government. So the mindset is a little more narrow. Um, they didn't want their, their staff to be working remotely all the time. They wanted to, they, they under the mindset, I have to see you to know what you're doing. The, so the, I find it. Coronavirus little, hadn't happened by then. Oh yes. That's where I'm about to go. All right. Okay. <laughs> Whoops. I find, no, no, it's good because I, I find it ironic and funny laughing like you are a couple of weeks ago. I was just laughing and <laughs> because the exact same thing that I would want it to do, everyone across the world globally is doing now. Mm-hmm. You have to pivot and be agile and be open to new ways of doing business. I was more effective when I was able to work remotely uninterrupted, being able to go to my medical appointments. I have problems walking a little bit now because of surgery on my foot. So 
going to, let's say, the Pentagon, even just getting out your car and getting into the building is like an obstacle course. So I, I presented all the medical documentation to support what I was saying. And there was no reason besides just blinders on with what, not wanting to change their management style. So I say all this to say what you were saying, Ben. Now look at everyone. Almost anyone who can do the work remotely is working remotely. So it could be done and it is being done. So I would just like to say to leaders and manage, managers that they should focus on emotional intelligence, their emotional intelligence, and being more open to new things. And that would include trusting their employees, engaging with them, and try to stay um, focused on the tasks that the employees are doing, not so much the activities. Because I say this because people have been sending me messages about, okay, now I'm working remotely and they're being micromanaged by their managers wanting to know a list of things that they've been doing each day. Well, they said writing that one list takes up a great chunk of their time. <laughs> I would recommend that are the deliverables being met on time? Are they on all the calls they're supposed to be doing? Are their reports error-free? You know, look at the quality mm. of their work. Don't be trying to, mm. like, babysit employees. So there's a lot of training that needs to be done in that area. And so the trans to go back to your question, how was the transition from corporate America to starting my own business? It was, it was bittersweet. But now that this pandemic happened, I'm so sorry with all the people that, you know, we have lost, the people that are sick, the people that are unemployed, but it has taught everyone that we need to remain flexible and open to new ways of conducting business. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when you actually began your new business, how did you actually get your first few clients and what are your main marketing channels now? LinkedIn has been a great source for me. Yeah. I network a lot, especially in the beginning on LinkedIn, and that was great. And then after that, it was word of mouth. And then once I, um, I completed something, someone else would tell somebody else, or someone would tell somebody else. Brilliant. And so those are the two great things that I've been utilizing. Um, so I know people listening and they go, oh, how did she meet people on LinkedIn? How did you go about it? So for LinkedIn, it, it started with engaging in posts that individuals have, being very active. And I'm not saying you need to be like a mad person up there and just, oh my goodness, writing every person that um, is on your contact list, but meaningful comments to, sh to showcase that you are knowledgeable in whatever skill. If you're an accountant, comment on people who are writing about that write an article. I've written several articles on LinkedIn and they get passed around. People are able to see my knowledge, skills, and abilities in a DNI space um, to see that I'm credible in what I'm talking about. And then I just started to start doing um, a digital show called Game Changer Chat in which I have a LinkedIn live interviews with practitioners in various um, fields and I interview them and I post them on LinkedIn. Well, they're on LinkedIn, obviously it's LinkedIn live. And then that invokes discussion about inclusion and 
through that dialogue, I get a lot of inboxes and opportunities to um, collaborate and or work. That's so cool. Can you tell us about LinkedIn Live for people who don't know what that is and how does it work, et cetera? Um, LinkedIn Live is a feature um, similarly to Facebook Live, except for right now, my understanding, LinkedIn Live just has several hundred people or several thousand people who are doing LinkedIn Live because it's in the beta testing phase. And it's where you can go live on your LinkedIn um, and talk to different people. It's just video broadcasting stream. And so I just click the button, go live. And now I've mastered being able to invite people to my live and conduct interviews. That's great. Yeah. And so you've generated business as a result? Absolutely. Yeah, I can imagine. So what do you see coming down the road for HR and the world of work and how should listeners get prepared for these changes? Again, I'm going to go back to being agile. You need to be agile. And then um, I think down the road, when people say that they want things to get back to normal, I don't think the normal as we saw it back in January, that won't exist anymore. People are going to be more comfortable with working remote. So I think there's going to be a lot more remote opportunities. And then I think um, AR, AI, excuse me, and um, HR is going to be more prevalent, artificial yeah. intelligence. Mm. I read some articles um, supporting that cognitive decision-making as far as HR is, um, is going to help with that and hiring team um, training and maybe also mental wellness. I saw where it, um, AI will have the capability to t- determine your tone, the inflections of your voice mm-hmm. on a call in the sense that, oh, maybe you sound a little anxious or you sound, Zakia, you sound different than you did yesterday. Are you a little down? It, it could pick up all the information and see, do you need to go to EAP, Employee Assistance Program? Um, so I think that the analytics that it's going to capture is going to really change the whole game in HR. Absolutely. I was uh, talking to the CEO of an HR tech company that I'm helping at the moment uh, just yesterday. And yeah, they are using AI to determine language patterns and so on to, to, you know, ensure positive workplace culture in different ways. So uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's already happening. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So Sakia, if people want to engage your services, partner with you, refer business to you, or just learn more about you, what should they do next? Well, I have a new Facebook group that I, I just started, and it's um, bit.ly slash D-E-I-G-C, which it stands for um, DEI Game Changers. So you can just go to my Facebook group at bit.ly slash D-E-I-G-C, or you can find me on my business page, bglobaldiversity.com. And as always, you can find me on LinkedIn because I'm always there. And this Friday, starting Friday, this Friday, May 1st, we're going to have a series for mental health uh, where we're talking with 11 professionals each Friday and Thursday about mental health awareness because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Brilliant. That's an excellent initiative. Really good. Uh, 
And if you're listening to this on the road or uh, jogging or some sort of exercise or something just away from your computer, you can check the show notes and I'll have the links to the Facebook group there and to the website. And Zaki, you've got a Facebook group, but you were just telling me all about LinkedIn. What, what brings you to Facebook for that? Um, I just wanted to have a little more of an intimate safe haven for yeah. people to communicate, for us to talk about um, DEI and um, just communicate with each other in a, a more intimate setting. Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's a great idea. So for all the things you've experienced that were on the negative side and for people who are listening who have experienced the same, then I'm sorry that you've had to feel that and um, thank you for what you're doing in, in terms of creating a, not only a better workplace but a better world. So I really appreciate what you're doing. And thank you for thank joining you. me on the show. Thank you, Ben, so much. I appreciate all your work and efforts. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.